Goals after the siren, major upsets, battlers having a crack. Round 17 had it all, and then North Melbourne went and blew up the entire industry. Well, not not really. Apparently, everyone saw it coming except for David Noble. If a week is a long time in football, a fortnight is an absolute eternity. So with me to fill out, fill in everything that I've missed in the last 14 days is Footy Live's finest analyst and dearest Hawks fan, Nikki G. Nikki G, how is the winter solstice? How's Melbourne? Uh, what's this sunshine doing out here? And uh, do you feel sad for David Noble? <laughs> well, surprisingly, the last couple of weeks, you've missed out on some, not, not great weather, but um, relatively sunny, it has to be said. So it's not too bad. It's always uh, better as well, the days when Hawthorne are winning. So it's good. And yeah, David Noble, um, not surprised, but uh, shocked that it's come after one of their best performances of the season. So uh, very interesting, um, it has to be said. It feels a little bit like it didn't matter if they won or lost on the weekend. And, you know, fair enough. It's 14 straight losses. It's a whole season's vibe. It's it's in the middle of their big review that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, they haven't finished the review, but they've come to the conclusion that obviously David Noble's not for them. Yeah. Does it – I suppose it's too hard to say is it the right call because, you know, it could have been a different coach in the same scenario. You, you can't play these things. But I suppose the – is it fair mm. is probably the uh, question that I have because we don't mm. often ask this. Like, you could yeah. be really good at your job as a coach and still lose every game. And we saw yeah. that with, like, Stewie Jew and the Gold Coast Suns. They didn't lose every game, obviously, but they lost a lot of games and they had faith. And now we'll get to that a little bit later on, but they're seeing some form of success. But mm. was this North team so bad that Noble's uh, tenureship was, in fact, untenable? Well, looking from the outside in, you have to say yes. I mean, how many how many losses in a how many losses in a row uh, was it? It was fourteen successive defeats. It was five wins in thirty eight games uh, under David Noble. So um, he said it in his press conference yesterday. Uh, when you lose that many games, you kind of put yourself in that position uh, to be uh, reviewed and. Um, yeah, I don't think many coaches uh, survive with that sort of record. And I've been saying it for most of the season as well, that this North Melbourne side is um, it is probably one of the worst, if not the worst, team I've ever seen in my lifetime. Um, it might be harsh, but um, uh, the, the, the form they've been in over the last few weeks, uh, losing by over 60 points, uh, or over 50 points, sorry, in 10 or more games of footy is just not good enough. And, um, yeah, I mean, David Noble, he can only really work with what he's got. Um, he did, I mean, in terms of a rebuild, it takes a lot longer than a year and a half to really uh, get the team you want and get them to be playing the way you want. But, um, yeah, as I said, it, it, it's hard to survive uh, with that sort of record. But I still find it a bit strange that they decided to let him go now and not just wait till the end of the season. I don't get what letting him go now is is going to do. I mean, they bring in Lee Adams from the VFL team and even the VFL side isn't really um, firing on all cylinders. I don't think he showed much over there. They're still third from bottom. They're the lowest ranked uh, AFL affiliated side and... 
Um, even in, in May, I think, uh, if you remember Gordo, uh, North Melbourne, how that uh, video Q&A for supporters to be as transparent as possible. David Noble was on there. I think their CEO, I think even Jack Zebel, if I remember correctly. And they were saying that he is the right man for the job, Noble. Um, they they have his, he has their full backing and they trust him to be the right man for the job. And um, two months later, he's gone. And apparently that had nothing to do with Jeff Walsh's ongoing review as well uh, with the AFL. So it was fully a North Melbourne decision. Um, and even yesterday, they... Didn't want to comment if Clarko uh, was an option or whether they're looking down that path. So I find that extremely hard to believe. And I, for one, don't think they're being as transparent um, as possible for their members and supporters who I think deserve it. Absolutely. And then there's no real uh, clarity around the decision-making because you say, okay, they clearly don't have a coach on standby to be parachuted in. We're going to bring our VFL coach up. Lee Adams gets thrown in the deep end. And, mm. you know, as much as everyone wants to be an AFL coach, we'll get to Darius Jai just in a little bit. But I don't know if Lee Adams waking up, you know, today being like, all right, let's go, boys. We've got, uh, you know, <laughs> 10 weeks of the season left. Let's really crack in here and have some fun. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's the vibe at the, at the club right now. <laughs> and then also you think about you parachute, let's say you get Clarko. And, yes, he's done a rebuild before, albeit probably 20 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And does he fix North Melbourne in a year, in two years? I was mm-hmm. uh, listening to Waitley yesterday with a, his great editorial on the uh, history of the North Melbourne Fourballs, and apparently the head of football came out before the, the day of the David Noble appointment and said their timeline for being in the top four was four years. Well, they're yeah. two years into that process, and so obviously they're not going to make that timeline. But... Even if you gave them another four years, North Melbourne's list isn't playing like top four football in, in four years. There's mm. there's barely a team on the ladder that they're going to try and beat in the next two. Yeah. And so surely you have to alter expectations. Now, are they allowed to be this bad for this long? Probably not, and things had to change. But I don't see how changing the head coach changes it when, you know, Half of your football department walks out. Half of your list management recruiting walks out when it feels like, you know, the fans aren't wanting to show up and everyone's complaining on talkback that, you know, they're not looked after in the way of sponsors. Like the club has this very systemic issue as opposed to just the head coach. And I think changing it mid-season, like you said, gives a better bad bad vibe. And, um, yeah, I don't know who would be wanting to, like, walk into that club as a player or as a coach uh, anytime soon. Yeah. You've heard the whispers, but we'll get to Dario's Digest because he asks a very important question. Welcome to another episode of Dario's Digest, giving you something to digest every single week. Okay, fellas, here's my question. Why would anyone want to take up the North Melbourne Football Club coaching role if it is available? Thanks, guys. Have a good one. The big question, obviously, he asked it before David Noble got sacked yesterday, but it is, would you take the job? Or who would take the job? Who'd be good for mm. the job? And would they want it? And so, Nicky yeah. G, you know, you mm. always want a pay rise. Would you go coach North Melbourne if they gave I mean, you the keys today? It's definitely not the easiest job in the AFL, but at the end of the day, it's still a job. It's an opportunity. And when an opportunity like North Melbourne comes up, um, it's happened in the AFL before and it's happened in sport in general. Um, it's an opportunity to rebuild the culture and... Um, I guess make, I mean, yeah, 
put it on your CV as, you know, a coach that's been able to turn around a club and make them great again. Like we, Clarko did it with Hawthorne. Hawthorne were a basket case when Clarko came in. Um, even Geelong uh, in the early Mark Thompson days. And now look at them. Uh, they're a club that's uh, admired by everyone in the AFL and their culture is spoken about by everyone. And probably even Sydney, they're probably the, the best example uh, from the early 90s. Uh, they, they were probably in a worse situation than North are at the moment. And now um, everyone's jealous of, you know, the Bloods culture and what they have going there. And if you want to look at other sports as well, Manchester United, uh, watch the Sir Alex Ferguson documentary on on Netflix. And, um, yeah, that'll show you, like, a, 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 a story on a much bigger scale than North Melbourne and how they became the greatest club on earth. So, um yeah, it's right now. It's not an appealing job, but I think a lot of people will be looking at this as an opportunity to, you know, completely start from the bottom and rebuild. Um, and you have to start with the culture, and I think that's what um, Clarko will have to start with if he, if he is the man to come in. Um, I don't think it, like if they get Clarko Gordo, I don't think uh, Premiership will be the number one thing on his mind. Uh, all the clubs, I think it'll be like a Paul Roos sort of thing, like come in and um, change the culture uh, and go from there. But um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I, I, I don't see there's not many coaches out there that can really uh, go for. Besides maybe Clarko, Adam Simpson's still in a job, but he's being linked, obviously, with that North Melbourne connection. And then there's like those guys like Nathan Buckley and Ross Lyon who are out of a job. But um, yeah, I, I guess it'll be interesting to see who comes in. I, for one, don't want to see Clarko there, not because of Hawthorne, but I don't think, I don't know, I, I just don't want his reputation to. Uh, um, I guess, alter in any way by not, not succeeding at North Melbourne. So, um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see who comes in. That's very, very true. So, uh, you know, the shortlist going in the media at the moment is uh, a shortlist of 17. So, really, no one has any idea who's going to take this job. And hopefully they go through a proper process because the other part here that I don't quite understand is that if your timeline was four years and you're only one and a half into them and then you get the boot, doesn't make much uh, job security, you know, allowances for the new the new coach to come in. And we saw mm. this with Carlton when they took on Mick Malthouse and basically yeah. said, you know, we're, we're fully supporting you. We want to buy into a, a big personality coach, and then slowly, well, not very, very rapidly, that fell apart for for Mick Malthouse, and he mm. is one of the best coaches of all time. So yeah. if you're going to do it, if the Roo's going to do it to to a you know a David Noble type. If they go in and they do get a Clarko, like you said, that's danger areas there where, you know, all of a sudden this storied coach has to end his career with the being fired because North just aren't up to it and they have no answers. So yeah, it would be very, very interesting to see who gets it. And I think that's why probably you'll end up with another David Noble type, like an Ashley Hansen, as opposed to a Don Pike or a Ross Lyon or an Adam Simpson, because why why would you? Like if, if Ross Lyon was going to get back into coaching... He'd go mm. back in, into a side that's going to be pushing for a, for a grand final and a, and a premiership, not a rebuild, because he's been there and done that twice, proving that he can do it. And I know I think being a TV pundit is much more fun than being the coach of the worst side in the AFL. But mm. 
that's, no, that's I just think that's the way to, I think that's the way to go down. I think they, they should go for someone who's young and got fresh ideas and um, someone that might not come in with um, old uh, methodologies and all that with like, that you might get with Clarkson and we kind of saw that in his um, in his late Hawthorne days where he was uh, still bringing in the likes of Scully and Patton to you know try and extend uh, a run of premierships but um, but you, you see with like Collingwood this year with McRae and um, even Sam Mitchell at Hawthorne and the, the new coaches um seem to be the way that the clubs are going down now. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I'd be more confident for North Melbourne if they went for something new, something, um, go for some fresh ideas rather than some uh, old ones or someone with a point to prove, maybe like Nathan Buckley. There you go. The other big question I have for you, and this is our expertise, I reckon, is is fandom. And so, obviously, there's been lots of talk about the turnouts of the crowds for North Melbourne and how they're kind of irrelevant. No one turns up to their games. Their game style isn't particularly attractive. So I did some digging in the numbers, and you mentioned a couple of podcasts ago about the, you know, the Fitzroy element, and it was the lowest crowd attendance since, uh, since Fitzroy's slow decline. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at their slow decline, and uh, they went on a seven-year streak of not being in the eight at all, like not even one week, Fitzroy, from 1990 through to 1996. And they sat at an average um, 40% below crowd average. So to compare yeah. apples with apples here. And so then the same thing is starting to happen for, for North Melbourne. So uh, the last time they played finals was 2016 and they were just 5% below the, the league average. Since then, uh, they were, they've been sitting at 28% until they sacked uh, Brad Scott. And then, that's, so that was 2019, they were sitting 25% below league average. Then obviously COVID hit, and then since COVID, they've been at forty percent below league average. So they're sitting, they're starting to, to decline into that Fitzroy yeah. level of basically relevant relevancy. So yeah. the question here is that: Does this lie in the sand, sacking the coach, starting afresh, doing the review? Will that bring fans back, or is this the slow decline? And they should look down avenues. They would. They tried. Mm. Well, some of their fans wanted to go to Gold Coast because it, they meant financial support. It meant you know better draft stocks that meant a better chance of rebuilding quickly. They knocked that on the head. They try to stay here. You know, then now they're, they're at where they're at. Mm. Do they say yes to Tasmania? Is it better for North to go to Tassie, get the support of the AFL, do it that way? Or should they, you know, fight, fight, fight to the bitter end and keep their club a solo club? We'll be back after a quick break. The only correct answer would be to stay in Melbourne. I still, I still think that they've got a chance uh, to stay here. Obviously, they're at a crossroads at the moment as a footy club, and it all depends on 
who they bring in, um, who they bring in as coach. And the next month, uh, the next year, sorry, is going to be a massive year because um, they, the supporters, like you said, the, de- the, the decline is happening fast and they need to make the right decisions of the draft. I think that the draft is massive. Um, I know the last, like, obviously they bring in Jason Horn Francis last season with the number one pick. That was the only pick that could really go, uh, go for. He was the clear favorite. Um, and it hasn't really gone um, as expected so far, and that's fine. I still think it'll t- he'll turn out to be a great player. But I think they need to bring in now pillars that are going to be there for the next 10 years. Don't start bringing in interstate players that might want to leave. Don't start bringing in any risks. They need to bring in a key forward, a key defender, and start building the pillars of their uh, the side that's going to get them get them out of this rut and and take them to success. So it, it's a massive draft, uh, and bringing in the coach is going to be um, you know a, a massive a massive decision that's ultimately going to um, decide who they what players they bring in and um, the culture they're going to set. So. Yeah, they're at a bit of a crossroads at the moment. They can certainly go down that Fitzroy uh, Brisbane path uh, where they have to relocate. But if they do the things right um, in the coming months and over the next uh, year, they can. There is certainly still room for them to stay in Melbourne and succeed in Melbourne. My final question on North Melbourne before we get on to happier topics is that if you were Jason Horn Francis, would you stay at North or are you rapidly exploring your options elsewhere? Mm, it's, yeah, I mean, it's the million dollar question uh, at the moment. I think, I think the right thing to do for him would be to stay and to earn your place. I mean, you don't want that... If you're in his boots, you don't want that hanging over your career that, you know, you were at North Melbourne when they're at their lowest point and you just ran, I guess. They took the punt on you. They could have... Uh, North Melbourne were offered an almighty deal from the Crows uh, in last season's trade period to try and get that number one pick and Jason Horn Francis to Adelaide. But uh, North turned it down. They wanted Horn Francis at the club. They got him there, and it'll be such a bad look uh, for both parties if he was just to run um, when they're in this situation. And I, I don't think leaving is going to benefit Horn Francis's career at all. I think it's just, I mean, he can do what he'd do at Adelaide, at North Melbourne, and you know, try and improve improve himself as a player uh, before he earns any big money deal or something like that. So. Yeah, for me, the right thing to do would just be to stick it out and to prove yourself, and I guess, um, yeah, try and be that, try and be that um, that player that North Melbourne brought you in for um, to get bums on seats and to be their, I guess, franchise player. Absolutely, and the good news story is the next one. What is the biggest good news story of the week, according to you? Because of course. I missed it. Is the Suns finally rising? Doing what North mm. maybe will do in you know four to six years' time is is be this club that is on the fringe of playing finals. They stuck with their coach. They got youngsters in. They they built up a culture, 
and now it's slowly, slowly, slowly working in their favour. And again, Clarkso it seems to be the dooms the doomsday uh, figure on the outside looking in. He was touted as the person to take over the Suns, and all of a sudden, uh, his own tutelage, Stuart Jew, is is there ready to yeah. take the Suns into September football. Uh, what do you make of it? And what's been the biggest factor this year that has made the Suns that are now a successful football club? Yeah, I mean, well, it, it looked unlikely at, earlier in the season, but in the last month or two, they've just made some huge strides um, as a footy club and as a team um, just, to tr- just to make this push for finals. And they were very unlucky not to win those games against Port Adelaide and Collingwood. That would have put them in the eight or just outside the eight at, at a minimum. I think they deserve to win those games too, to be quite honest. But the fact that they um, the fact that they didn't win those games and they were you know real soul crushing defeats to get so close um, to still bounce back against the Tigers in the way they did just to you know find a way to win when all seemed lost pretty much. Um, I think that's got to be one of their probably best wins in the club's history, um, especially if they make finals. They will be looking back at that game as the turning point in their season and the turning point in their club's history. Um, and it's got to be put down to Stewie Jew. He was rewarded with a two-year deal uh, just the other week, just before the Richmond game. And, um, yeah, you've you got to put it down to him. He, he's he been backed in um, by the club they made the decision to bring him in. He's got he had fresh ideas. Uh, when all was going bad, they didn't just pull the pin on him. That he they stuck with it. Um, seems like the the players have also bought into to his style and the way they want to play and the way they see how they feel. Uh, Gold Coast will succeed as a footy club and um, yeah, and that, that, that's what it's got to be put down to is is the culture they're building there. They brought in players as well from the draft who um, they they knew that they wouldn't want to leave Gold Coast. They had a bit of a retention problem early in their history. Um, players leaving like the likes of Tom Lynch, Stephen May, all these real key figures for the club, club captains, Gary Ablett Jr. Um, but they, they go in with, they go into drafts with a different methodology, uh, similar to Brisbane. They, they bring in players that, um, are either from Queensland or they in the interview process they ask him you know have they have they experienced living away from home so they can they, they don't want that homesickness excuse anymore um, and it seems to work they've got now players they've got players they can build a team and a club around like Raul and Anderson and uh, Took Miller and uh, Isaac Rankin so um, yeah, it, it, it's great to see. Gold Coast is everyone's favourite club, I think. Everyone's favourite second club, I mean. And, um, yeah, it, it keeps their... That win against Richmond keeps their finals hopes alive. And I really do hope uh, they make it. I think out of those teams that are competing for that uh, final eight spot, I think they're the team that deserves it the most, uh, to be quite honest. If we take into consideration Bulldogs and Port, St Kilda, Richmond and... Sydney, I think they've all dropped off this season or in the last couple of months. So um, Gold Coast for me are probably, as of right now, the the team that deserves it the most. So they deserve it, but will they get it? So they got uh, Essendon this week at Marvel Stadium, a tough gig against the Lions at the Gabba, albeit 
are very COVID-stricken lines and, you know, mm. COVID begets COVID, so that could be a very interesting one. Then they take on West Coast at home, uh, Hawthorne and Tassie. Uh, they host Geelong in the second last round and then they get the freebie in the final week against North Melbourne. That's probably yeah. at least four out of six games there that they're, they're winning and you probably imagine that, that, as you said, is the best of the uh, of the ones on the fringe of the eight. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And and when you take a look at uh, Richmond's run as well, they've got the likes of Frio still to come, Brisbane, Port Adelaide, um, St Kilda as well, very hot and cold. I mean, they could lose to absolutely anyone on any given week. The Bulldogs, I have no faith in whatsoever, and they've still got to play Melbourne and Geelong and Frio in the next four weeks. So, um, yeah, I, I'm backing in the Suns as of right now. And, yeah, I mean, I think they've got at least three wins in the next four weeks. Um, like you said, they've got the Bombers, the Eagles, and the Hawks. Uh, the Lions is the tough one, but I'd, I'd probably back in uh, Gold Coast right now um, against the Lions. I don't think the I think, I mean, changing the topic, I think the Lions have some big issues in midfield, but we might get to that a little bit later on. But, yeah, I'm, I'm totally backing in the Suns in this final stretch. There we go. That's the, that's the good news. Uh, the bad news, however, and I, I missed all of this again because I was away, mm-hmm. is, uh, is the, the bump has been dead for about 10 years. Is the <laughs> tackle dead, Nikki G? Um. Uh, yes. What's going on here? Yes. Talk me through um, what's the controversy? What's going on? Well, there's multiple controversies around the tackle. I mean, it depends where you want to go down. The holding the ball inconsistencies or the high tackle with Jack Ginevan. Um, he's in the center of it all. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about Jack Ginevan. He, at the moment, he is the player with uh, the most free kicks for high tackles. And uh, every time, every club that plays Collingwood... Um, this this season uh, comes out of it, and I was one of them. Comes out of it saying, "Gee, Jack Ginevan plays for free kicks," and it's so frustrating. And the umpire should get on top of it. And now it just seems like they have gotten on top of it, and maybe a little bit too much. I think he's just not getting absolutely anything from the umpires. And you see this sometimes with players like the Toby Green types and the the James Sicily types, who are just not the umpire's um, best friend and they probably cop the rough end of the stick um, when it comes to those 50-50 calls. And, yeah, I I think, in my opinion, he's probably getting hard done by Jack Inovan. It's kind of like the boy who cried wolf, you know, when when you... cry for as many free kicks as you want in a game and you, you used to get them and um, after a while people are just going to figure you out and at the end of the day not come to you when when um, there genuinely is a free kick there. So I don't know. I don't know how, how you fix this, Gordo. Um, I don't think dropping your knees is a part of the game. It's frustrating for opposition fans. Um, but I think you just need to adjudicate the game evenly and, um, yeah, I guess not have any, not have any pets and not have any, um, try and just erase any sort of bias or favoritism and just, yeah, call it as you would for any other player. Um, even if it is Jack Inovan. So yeah, it's super frustrating to watch and, um, yeah, I think we just we need to get on top of it because it's getting a bit silly at the moment. The other part I don't quite understand is that 
the AFL for the last five years has been going on and on about how they have, must protect the player and protect the head. Mm. And then they released this uh, poor uh, performer for the umpires about if it's a high tackle on or when, whether or not you should just play on. And their quote is, when the tackle is reasonably applied and the ball carrier is responsible for the high contact via a shrug, drop, arm lift or duck, play on should be called. And then they go down this whole list. So it's like if you elect to drop your head from a higher position and you get hit around the head, then it's play on or you must dispose of the ball, otherwise it's holding the ball. If you mm. drive low and then come up, the same thing. If you shrug a tackle, the same thing. If you drop at the knees, the same thing. So all of a sudden, let's say that Jake Ginevan ducks his, ducks his head a little bit or drops his knees, that's his favourite move, and then just gets haymakered in the head. Apparently mm-hmm. that is now play on. So where is the protection of the head? Yes, he's elected to, to duck, the, duck or drop the knees or whatever, but you yeah. still have to protect the person going for the ball, don't you? Isn't that what we yeah. the whole malarkey of the last five years was at least go for the ball? And mm. for all of the, the gamesmanship and the, you know, the chicanery that Ginevan's putting on, at the end of the day, he's still getting to the ball first. Yeah. He's, yeah. Still, he's still doing what we've always wanted players to do, which is mm. go for the ball first. Whereas five years ago, no one was going for the ball because they knew that they would get they get caught holding the ball and, and it's a dangerous mm. position to be in, and, and it was all against them anyway. So now we've put all all the responsibility back on the ball carrier and not the tackler, which is the yeah. opposite of what it's been for the last five years, and which is mm. kind of like anti football. We want people going in hard, and we should protect the players going to the ball first, not those sitting back waiting to tackle. Yeah, so and, I don't I don't understand well. how we can flip this. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, and yeah, once upon a time, it used to be, yeah, um, getting to the ball first, putting your head over the ball, diving on it, doing whatever you can to get it. And that used to be the way to get as well, high free kicks and um, in the back free kicks. That's how we taught in Auskick, um how to attack the ball. But then that went out of the game a bit as well when they got rid of sliding and uh, sliding below the knees and all that sort of stuff. So this is just the new modern day version of... Um, getting the high free kicks and look if you're gonna i'm 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 happy if they if they let it go if you drop the knees if you duck play on fine whatever but just make it consistent because there are still multiple players across the league that are still dropping their knees and getting free kicks consistently so that's that's just where it looks bad is when one player's getting there and one player's not it's just got to be even across the whole competition um and yeah, at the end of the season, they just need to, um, I don't know, get in a room together, the umpires, the umpires association, the AFL, maybe even the coaches, maybe even the captains, just all get in the same room, just just flesh it out, figure out the best way forward and stick with it. No more changing because all these changes are just making the game more confusing. And um, yeah, it has to be, I mean, it has to be said the same about the, um, the holding the ball situation as well, because... Uh, I think we saw one of the most um, blatant holding the balls uh, in that St. Kilda, Kilda Frio game um, go unrewarded. Um, if you saw that uh, as Butler ran down Jordan Clark um, in a trademark rundown tackle, you know, it completely disp- uh, was let go of the ball. And um, yeah, it should have been holding the ball three seconds later. Brad Hill got caught by Frederick. And that was given holding the ball um, with, you know, that was somehow deemed prior opportunity, even though he had the ball for less time. 
that just sparks frustration. Um, and then it was obviously, you know, the 50-meter penalty was awarded against Butler for dissent. Well, that, that, that's going to happen. And um, still no excuse for the racial abuse Frederick copped as well on social media. I just want to put that out there. That was disgusting. Um, but, um, yeah, and there's obviously no excuse for that. But keeping it on field, uh, yeah, there, there's still a lot of, a lot of things to work on um, with the rules and with the interpretations. Uh, there's still so many inconsistencies, and yeah, I think the end of the end of this season has to be the time where they just get it right um, because it's in a bit of a dire spot at the moment. Absolutely agree there. To round out the podcast, it's been a big episode so far, so we'll go on the rapid fire round. All the storylines that I missed. We're going to call this real deal or fake news. The first one, Nikki G. The best thing for Collingwood is to trade Brody Grundy. Real deal, fake news. Yeah, yeah it's been, it's been a hot topic. I I think no. I think I'm not I'm not a fan of the long contracts. Um, and financially, it might seem good for them to you know get rid of him, let let another team pay half of his contract for the next four years and free up salary cap space that they can throw at a, a key forward or a key defender that they actually need. But, and and that obviously comes after the news that, you know, Mason Cox and um, Darcy Cameron have been in good form over the last couple of weeks. But Brody Grundy's uh, still, obviously, the younger and the more preferred Ruckman. Um, I mean, going with Cox and Cameron for the short term might seem like a good solution and so they can turn their attention to other areas of the field. But um, you won't be saying that in three years when Mason Cox isn't there and Darcy Cameron probably won't be there and might not be playing the same footy years now. And then you'll have Brody Grundy at 27, 28 years old dominating at Port Adelaide or whatever. So... um, it might seem like the good thing to do now to ship him off and let another team pay for his contract, but I think you just need to stick it out. Um, Brody Grundy's still one of the best ruckmen in the game when he's um, at his best. So, yeah, I think for Collingwood, they need Grundy and they gave him the big deal because they wanted him. So keep him and I think they'll win a premiership one day with him in the side. There you go. Speaking of premierships, Carlton are only one win off the top of the ladder. Does that mean that the Blues' rebuild is complete? Um, I mean, from a list perspective, yes. I, I think I think this Carlton team will win a premiership, absolutely. They've got all the pieces to be a premiership side. Um, when Yeah, when you look at traditional premiership sides, they've got the two big key forwards and two of the best key forwards in the game in Kerno and Mackay. They've got their midfielders, um, Walsh and Cripps, you know, proper proper gun midfielders. Um, they've got the defence as well uh, to win a premiership. They've got the big key defenders. They've been out for most of the season, like McGovern, Marchbank uh, did his knee and uh, Weedering as well. But just wait till they're all back. It might not be this year they win the premiership, but next year or the year after, they're going to be right up there. So... Yes, the rebuild is finished. Uh, this is their window, and um, I, I think their list is good enough. If they stay, stay healthy, they'll win a premiership with them. There you go. Speaking of premierships then, 
the premiership reigning premiers went down. Now the new favourites are apparently mm. the Geelong Cats. Are they the number one side in the competition, Nicky? It has to be said. You're only as good as your last game. So it, I can't have it as Melbourne. And Melbourne's lost, what, three of their last five, I think. So in terms of form um, and in terms of power rankings, I'd definitely have Geelong above uh, Melbourne at the moment. Um and yeah, I, I probably owe an, an apology to Geelong as well. I, I wrote them off pretty early. But then again, it, it comes down to finals because we, how many times have, you know, Geelong dominated a home and away season and then lose a prelim or, you know, go out, go out in straight sets and underperform when it really matters. So that's going to be the big task for Chris Scott and his side. Um, yeah, they, they've got to overcome that September bug and that, spot in the grand final that's eluded them for a while, obviously not including 2020, but that game didn't go the way they wanted. So, yeah, it, it, right as of right now, you have to say they're premiership favourites, Gordo, but, um, yeah, still a long, long way to go. Exactly, and they've got a game against the Blues on the weekend. If the Blues win that, then all of a sudden they hold the belt and they're the premiership mm. favourites. Sad news stories. Got two of them to run out the podcast. Should the Bulldogs move on from Luke Beveridge? Yes, yes. In terms of, yeah, I mean, if you told us, if this was mentioned last year that, you know, around the time they made the grand final or just after the grand final, if you said that the Bulldogs weren't going to make the eight, um, not many people would have believed you. So I, I think it's a bit of a disaster. It's a bit of a train wreck where the Bulldogs are at at the moment. Given their list and the talent they have, they've got, on paper, they've got the best midfield in the competition. They've got, um, you know, a couple of the best forwards in the competition. Yeah, I just, it it doesn't make sense to me. They've got a great Ruckman. How can they be outside the top eight? How can they be losing to Sydney by 60 points or whatever? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm baffled by how bad they've been this season. They might still be mathematically a shot at finals, but like I said earlier, they don't deserve it. I don't think they will finish in the top eight. And if they don't, then, yeah, questions need to be asked of uh, Luke Beveridge um, because if you're not able to get that team into finals, then um, then it's got to be on the coach because that that is a... I mean, really, I think they've got a better list than Fremantle, but look what Longmuir has done with the Dockers. So, um, yeah, questions will definitely be asked. And then the final one, with champions in decline, is it official now? A Richmond no longer clutch. Uh, yeah, no, you, I don't think you can call them clutch. Um, certainly in the last few weeks, um, obviously the game against Gold Coast, uh, the game against Sydney, the game against Geelong, they they held fourth quarter leads um, and they just let it go. They let it slip through their fingers. And once upon a time, um, in the peak of their powers, Richmond would not have let that happen. And they usually, that, that was one of their strengths during their premiership years, Gordo, was just blowing teams away in the fourth quarter. Even when the game seemed close, they would just, you know, flex their muscle and just power away. Um, but we've seen so many times this year where they've held fourth quarter leads or big three quarter time leads and then go on to concede six goals. It happened in the first round against Carlton. It, um, happened in St Kilda at Marvel Stadium I think in round three or four um, 
And then, yeah, those three games I mentioned recently, Gold Coast, Sydney, and Geelong. So it's happened five games already. If, if those five games were wins, Richmond would be top of the ladder by two games in percentage. So um, they've, they've lost their clutch, certainly, and it might, it might cost them a top eight spot. All dynasties must die, and the favourite one for Nicky G to kill is, of course, the Richmond Tigers. But uh, keep tuned. Will Stewie Jew's sons take that spot in the eight? We can only wait and see. And, of course, we'll be back to review all of the Round 18 action on Friday before it all kicks off again. So until then, enjoy your football and 4-1 out for David Noble.